This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Hmm. Let's see what this is. This so far doesn't float my boat. Oh, this is, uh... You know what this is? This is uh, music. This is what you hear in the elevators and doctor's offices. Yeah. This is a, this is yeah this is Ace of Base this the band that Soul forgot yeah oh what what is wrong with you Rich ah it's like McWhitey Whitey music it is really it is really you, you can't get any whiter than this, this is, music it's this you play this song it sucks the, whatever soul is in the room it sucks it out it's Rich, a deficit soul Rich song. is African American and he plays these McWhitey Whitey tunes no but here's what it is though I think he thinks we think he thinks this oh. is what we want oh, I, I yeah, think that's yeah, what's yeah. going on okay now <laughs> speaking of McWhitey Whiteys I was in one of the whitest locations in all of the city of New York. Most people don't even know it exists, uh, even if they take the train past it or they drive past it. And I remember seeing you years ago in the American Legion Hall on Broad Channel. It was a great patriotic event. You were there representing the area as, I believe, the congressman at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I was there, and no other elected officials were there. You were the only. I give you credit. And the veterans really appreciated that, Anthony, because they were having some problems maintaining the American Legion Hall, getting discretionary funds from their local officials, because very difficult to keep these places open any longer as their membership is dying off. So uh, credit to you. Uh, then the other night, Wednesday night, I took the A train out to Broad Channel. People were like, oh, my God, what are you doing coming out to Broad Channel on the train? I said, this is my limo. This yeah, is the train. Totally. So I get off, I walk past the firehouse on my way to the VFW hall, and actually all the firefighters uh, come running out and say, hey, you think you're going to hire any of our colleagues back? You know, well, what do you think is going to happen now with the VAX mandate? And I said, to be honest with you, I really don't know. I'm not up to on all the uh, uh, nuances. And then I went into the VFW hall, and, Anthony, there were middle-aged men and women who were civil servants. They were crying. I mean, crying. They had lost their houses, lost their career, lost their job because they wouldn't get vaxxed when they submitted a religious exemption to the city. Uh, eventually, the, uh, the paperwork came back, no, we're not accepting your religious exemption. And in the interim, they were put on the shelf. They couldn't seek unemployment. They couldn't get other employment on the books. And so they wanted to know, they said, I can't understand why the mayor is rolling back the vaccine mandate on the private sector. It goes into effect November 1st. PSAL athletes, they don't even have to get the vaccine any longer if they compete in sports in the public school system. But for civil servants, it continues, and there doesn't seem to be any hope 
that in the future we might be hired back and be permitted to work towards our pension and eventual retirement. You you know the intricacies of, of the uh, private sector versus the civil sector. Why is the mayor hesitating? Because it looks very personal, like he threw down the No, I, look, I, first I think to some, in some ways this is exactly this is exactly how it looks. When you employ someone, you can put rules on employment, including rules on not making your fellow worker sick, and so you've got to go get these vaccines. If we hear, if John, John Katsimatidis said, all right, here's a rule that we have for employment, we're allowed to do it. What the court has was getting ready to say, and this is why it got lifted by, by the mayor, is that's fine, but just because you do business in the city doesn't mean you have this kind of broad authority. And But remember something, people who were, people made this choice. They chose not to get the vaccine. Let's not make it that they were forced to give up their job. They chose not to fulfill a requirement of the job. And you can be opposed to it or be in favor of it. It's a requirement of the job. There's lots of people who have lots of requirements on their job that they might not like. And if some people are willing to quit their job, which is effectively what people did by not getting the, 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 the vaccine, they're permitted to quit their job. But in, we, as we sit here, this may change in a week because the PBA brought this case on, on behalf of their members, and they are city workers. And the court very strongly said, in like some really tough language, saying that, um, that they, they cite. Now, it's going to be on appeal, and the issues, you know, as they go up, sometimes you can't predict what's going to happen on appeal. But this is a requirement but of working for Why argue it? It's over. The president of the United States was on 60 Minutes. He declaratively said... The COVID pandemic is over. Everybody heard that. All of a sudden, Eric Adams apparently did not hear that and wants to continue to impose it on civil servants. Look, I would do it if I. Yeah, I think that. Let's remember what what Biden said is the truth in that it's not a pandemic, but it's still really serious and it's still. And we should take care of ourselves. I am not sure why Adams is sticking in as much as maybe he wants to make sure that the courts do rule for him so he knows he has this authority if it comes back. Maybe there are a lot of people who believe that Biden didn't do the right thing uh, purely on the science, saying that there's still a lot of COVID that's out there. It's certainly easier politically for Adams to say, yeah, let's lift it all over the place. That's why Biden did it, to kind of be the good guy. Um, and so you got to give him credit at least for sticking to what he believes. I believe it's a function that he asked his health advisors how can we protect people here? And they said, keep these vaccines in place, particularly with the boosters coming Let's out. look at the timeline. This was not imposed until five days before de Blasio left office. Five days before. He hadn't imposed it before that. So he imposes it. Presumably with Adams' agreement. Right? Don't you think Adams said, do this for me well, so I don't, have to take, I don't have to take right. the brief for right? It's not like they were adversarial. Right. Adams gets into office. He has a chance to review it. He then makes a decision, as you hear him say, look, Kyrie Irving, we got a chance to get into the NBA playoffs. You know, we, we, we can't do this. So, Kyrie, you're going to get to break the rule. But average civil servants, firefighters, cops, health workers, teachers, social workers, sorry. Now Kyrie Irving comes out. His, his Medici, his benefactor in this argument was Eric Adams. Because remember, even before that, he was permitted to practice in Sunset Park in the Brooklyn Nets facility. I was okay. He just couldn't play in Barclays yeah, Center. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. So now we have Kyrie Irving coming out and say, look, I should not have been given special status. 
I've got brothers and sisters out there whose lives are devastated. Mr. Mayor, you made a special exemption for me and others, like performers, actors, actors. All you got to do it for the average common men and women who work for the city of New York. And that had a tremendous appeal. And the mayor... He just acts as if there's no empathy, there's no sympathy when it comes to this. I get it depends on how you look at it. Either that or he's protecting all of the other employees that work for him, that went out, got a vaccine, did the responsible thing for themselves and for their neighbors, and why am I going to say to this group, you don't have to be the responsible either? Like, he's, you've got to remember, the constituency is not just the people that are choosing not to get the shot. The constituency is also the people that went out and did the oh, right understood. thing. Understood. Understood. You know, so, so that's the over, over, overwhelming well, now, number. Here's I mean, the other problem. What is the percentage? I think the percentage is in the single digits. Yeah, but this is the other problem. We see that hiring across the board in the city is flat. Uh, retirements, early retirements, early right. resignations, right. because a lot of city workers are being recruited other places, or they're just deciding, I'm going south right. of the Mason-Dixon line. Plus, with inflation, these are not great jobs. You know, they're, right. they're not so, great jobs. There's a dearth, and it's hard to fill the dearth, especially with cops, right. firefighters, EMTs. EMTs are saying, oh, my God, yeah. our ranks are depleted. Our response time is getting longer and longer. Same thing with the fire department, teachers, many of whom are professionals. Yep. We need them. Look, we hired teachers from yeah. the Dominican Republic no, but what, to come in and teach children bilingual education. Yeah, totally. There'd be lots of reasons why, if Adams changed his mind tomorrow, he'd have lots of reasons to list on why he's doing it. But I think he's making a determination based on the advice of his health advisors. And also, I'm sure he's going to be a little bit concerned about, well, the next time I say I order you city employees to do something as a condition of your employment, that people are going to say, ah, I'm just going to not do it because eventually he'll change right, his mind. But we know now there's going to be a whole slew of lawsuits. There are already a whole slew of lawsuits well, this one in PBA the suit, This one PBA suit, if the PBA prevails, then the whole thing crumbles because then – the city will say, well, wait a minute, now we have a precedent in the Court of Appeals saying I got to hire back cops. I can't not hire back, you know, EMS workers. So, yes, this case, which has gone against the mayor and the city on the lower on the lower court, is now is now going to the Court of Appeals, which, as you know, in New York is the basically the highest court. Um, and we'll find out soon. So now, we'll even, find out soon. Even though you're not a lawyer, Anthony. What do you think the thought process is of corporation counsel as to deal with this slew of lawsuits uh, McGuire, uh, who's in charge. What advice? Because either way, there's a slew of lawsuits out there. Well, and I'm people sure... are going to want back pay, benefits. Yeah, no, no. Uh, by the way, this, I imagine, again, you're right, I'm not a lawyer. But I imagine the law on this hasn't changed much since this thing was put into place a year ago. And there's all kinds of suits going on all across the country. I'm glad we're getting to a place of settled law. Uh, it seems, from what I understand, employers can impose rules on their employees that affect the health and well-being of their workplace. And so in the case of the okay. city, in case of employees of the city of New York, their workplace is the entire city. Right. But doesn't it sound odd that as of November 1st, you can be in the private sector, there's no longer a vax mandate. But if you work for the city, uh, depending on how it goes, as you said, that might change. You continue to have a vax Ooh, you, mandate. You might have an employer... Right. We might have an employer in this building who's saying that I, I won't let anyone here who doesn't have a mask. That's their right. When you take a job with an employer, you agree to certain okay. conditions. Now, so in the case of the city of New York, 
Your boss is the mayor of the city of I'll New York. I'll give you another example. A group of women, uh, again, they were crying. They've lost everything. They had homes out in Rockaway Beach. You're familiar. You used to sure. represent that area. They're no longer in Rockaway Beach. They had to sell their homes. They say, Curtis, I don't understand this. We had these migrants coming in. We're putting them up in hotels. We're putting them up in shelters. Now we're going to have the tent city and Orchard Beach. There's no requirement that they get vaccinated. We are caring for them. They they are almost technically wards of the city because it's not like they can just freely move about, go wherever they want to go. Why is it there's no vaccine mandate on them and there was no medical tests on them whatsoever? Well, they don't have – I don't know what medical care they have or haven't gotten. But they're – I don't – now I don't understand what the, the, the position is that you think not only should employers be able to impose it, but the state should be able to impose it on human beings walking into our city? Well, no, that doesn't work. They like come that. across the border. They haven't been tested for TB. Well, if you malaria, that, again, nothing. I am I I am fine. You know, trying to take care of people and offer them health care if that's what you're suggesting. But I don't believe it's the power of the state to force an individual person, whatever their status, a, a person who's in the country to force them to get a shot. You do, and, and I think most Americans, even if they're pro-vax would not say, well, some people would probably say mandatory vaccines for people. We don't have that law, and I don't think the state has that I know, right. but you do realize how to a lot of people, they look at this, and they say, well, wait a second, these people are coming in. Uh, they don't have green cards. They don't have visas. They certainly are not citizens. They're here because we're letting them stay here until they get an asylum hearing, which in some cases may be four, five, six years. The backlog is so tremendous. And there's no requirement that they get vaccinated. I'm sure there are some people who believe you should require people in this country to get vaccines. But that's quite that's the I don't know. What's your position? Because it's yes, you you can. If you're against being forced, if you're a firefighter, why would you think you can be forced just for walking the streets? Well, I, I actually <laughs> am following what the president of the United States said. It's over. It's over. 60 yeah, minutes. I don't it's think finito. It's no, no, over. No, he didn't say COVID was over. He said that the pandemic yes. was over. And that doesn't mean that it's not. Look, I just went the other day and got my booster and got my flu shot. By getting a flu shot, it's going to be less likely that you're going to catch the flu. But I don't think John Katzmatidis is about to order every employee to get a flu shot. because every time I've had flu shots, when my youngest sons were growing up, uh, uh, Anthony, when he was young, Carter and Hunter, when they were young, uh, I would get flu shots. And I would get deathly sick. Yeah, no. And then finally I told their mothers. I'm not getting flu shots no, anymore. Flu, flu shots are basically playing the odds. You're reducing your chance of getting it like 60%. It's not, which is basically, you know, what are you, a coin And every flip. year it changes. A coin the yeah, quotient changes. Because unlike with the vaccine, the pharmacist explains to me, unlike with the vaccine where they take the actual disease and they actually make something to fight it, with the flu, they're producing something six months ago that they think is going to get here next month. You know, can, it's, you know. can you do one thing and find out for me because... I get no response from the Department of Education, which took over for the Board of Education, which I I have said over and over, the acronym stands for dumbest organization ever. <laughs> I have inquired. I said, you're, you're accepting 2,000 children who have come across the border with their parents or they're here with uh, adults, and you're accepting them into the public school system. Are you requiring that they have vaccines? You know, because supposedly... Oh, the school kids are required? Oh, so then there's the answer. What's the question? They won't answer that. Well, yeah, they're required to. Yeah, but you see, you probably have better luck seeing if they've been given an exemption. Well, I have no reason. Now, if they're not, then that you're right. 
That's a well, huge just issue. the fact but, that they won't answer the question, Anthony. Oh, could it be me? Well, I don't even know. I don't even know if they've even released the numbers of how many kids they're going. They into said the uh, public bank school. said about two thousand. Two thousand uh, kids. That's amazing. Yeah. I that's, know, but remember, we were down one hundred and twenty thousand. No, no, students. I'm saying that's amazing in a good way. That's right. amazing. These kids so, were, were rescued. Two thousand are now registered. They're going to public schools. So they must have gotten shots. I will ah. find out for sure. I well, if everyone else is required to. There's not a waiver, a special waiver going for these people. Now, you're well, saying, should there be a special requirement uh, because this, they're living in a shelter I'm, I'm very doubtful. I'm very doubtful because it would be so easy for somebody who's a civil servant. Look, they don't have no bones in this battle between me and the Democratic leadership here to say, yes, Curtis, the, these are the rules and regulations for every child. Uh, let's say seven years or older, nine years or older, whatever it is. Look, every story that I have seen about these new tents that are being erected say that they're gonna, there are services there for the people. There's the mother of all services is healthcare, is to make sure that they're taking care of it. But I think it's easy enough to find it. I think it's safe to assume, even though sometimes the city does bizarre things, and even though bureaucracies act in weird ways, it's safe to assume that there is a requirement for those five and over to get a vaccine. To get into the I don't public trust school. government. I don't care if the Republicans are in charge. I don't trust I government. I think, and you and I have this conversation sometimes, that sometimes our expectations of them are too high mm. and our feeling of incompetence for them is also too high. Mm. Somewhere in the middle is probably right. They well, mess stuff up. But when we come back, when we come back, you mentioned the tents, and there's so much debate about now putting up tents. You went from hotel rooms to cruise lines to tents. The mayor of the city of New York has decided... That he's going to help Puerto Rico in their time of need as a result of the smash-through of Hurricane Fiona five years after Hurricane Maria. And I'm going to ask you, Anthony, he can't even take care of New York City in our time of need. What the hell is he going to do over in Puerto Rico other than get a photo up? Please, you got to explain this because this is a page right out of former Governor Andrew Cuomo who spent half of his time in Puerto Rico. On left versus right, if you missed any of uh, Anthony Weiner's uh, program, his solo program, in the middle, you got to go to wabcradio.com, the podcast, and most importantly, the podcast that I pimp off of, that I intellectually steal your information. Which podcast is that? It's called Keys to the City. But as I also mentioned, people should subscribe to The Middle also. We're going to start dropping some episodes during the week. So The Middle and Keys to the City. Oh, I'm loading up. I'm loading up right here on WABC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hot 
Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. All right, now you're on track, Rich. This guy is now a superstar, Bad Money. He's big. He's big. He filled up Yankee Stadium recently the same way Aaron Judge is now as people await number 61 or maybe more. He is a movie star. Apparently a picture is coming out. It's going to be putting him uh, maybe in Academy Award uh, winning situation. And on Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rican community, he can walk on water. He can do no he's, wrong. He's iconic at this point. Yep, no he, doubt about it. Even though in the midst of the lockdown and pandemic, he did a super spreader event at the stadium in San Juan, 60,000. And it spread all throughout the island. They've forgiven him. He bad now, bunny, bad he has, bunny. He has a video now which talks about the blackout and what Puerto Ricans should do. And they're all praising him. Now, I get that. He's from the island. Those are his roots. Those are his peeps. But in the midst of all the Michigash going on here, and boy, have we had a lot of problems, especially with all the brand new arrivals that were unexpected. The mayor of the city of New York announced yesterday, Eric Adams, he goes, I'm going to Puerto Rico either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Uh, I want to I want to inspect what our team is doing over in Puerto Rico. And I'm saying. You have a team in Puerto Rico? What about here in New York City? <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you going over there? Because, Anthony, it's nothing but a photo op. You know that. Well, here's the way I look at it. If I were, if I were mayor, and I've thought about being mayor before, I would say we are a city that we're like a country. We can deal with anything. We can help out our friends with anything. Ron DeSantis can't handle it. He's sending people to Massachusetts. We're the other way around. Send us whatever you want because we can handle this. And when we have friends in need, we have a 40,000, a 30,000-person police force. We have an EMT system second to none. We have buildings inspectors that know every inch of everything. We are the best of the best. We are the elite. We are the SEAL Team 6 of government, and I'm going to deploy whenever I need to. All that being said, yeah, it's a photo op. But I think that we should be there for our friends, particularly our Puerto Rican friends, particularly our, you know, places that we have a real connection to. If they need our help, we should be there to help out. But you've seen the reaction of the Puerto Rican people on the island, in the Commonwealth. Uh, five years ago, Hurricane Maria, yeah. they were promised so much government support. FEMA eventually comes through. They give it to the local officials. They give it to the local town mayors, and they took care of only the people who had voted for them, the people who were opposed to them, because it's a very political island. Got nothing. The crime is off the hook there under normal circumstances, and we never seem to be able to get the grid right. In an American commonwealth, soon to probably be a state, every time there's two power stations, one of which I've seen uh, on the south end of the island, they always go down. They put the power grids over the mountains to go to the north side, which is where San Juan is, where the bulk of the population is. We never get it right. We've spent gazillions of dollars. The graft is just... Well, you know, you can make an argument that in all the conversation about the status of Puerto Rico, what they've got presently is the example how, like, it's not working, like you would think. And that's probably, that's been the big argument for the people who want to change their status there, whether it be statehood or something else. 
is that, look, this ain't working. And it's true. It's not, and the people there are right to be frustrated. The federal government was not great in recent years. I don't want to point fingers. The federal government hasn't been particularly helpful. Their administration has not been helpful. Um, I mean, I've been a supporter of statehood for a while. I believe that that's the the path through full status in the House of Representatives, fully considered American in every way. There are lots of tax reasons why not to do it that they adhere to. But, yeah, they, they have not. They they have had problems with their elected leadership down there, but I have no problem with us as New York City residents pitching in and do what we can. I mean, they're basically the sixth borough for us, Puerto Rico. We can do that without the mayor being there. Number I two. Did. Look, I would have done it. Here's the way I, I would have done it, and I think this might be the Curtis Lee way of doing it, too. I would have gotten on a JetBlue flight, had a clear schedule, gotten on a JetBlue flight, and gone somewhere I can really be helpful and help. Rolled up my sleeves and yeah. be helpful. Brooklyn, Queens, no. the Bronx. No, I would have, if I Island. really feel, no, I'm just saying, if I really feel that, hey, this is some somewhere I need to, to, you know, sometimes we've had things that lead us to leave New York City and go be helpful, I would go ahead and, and do that. This whole notion of showing solidarity, I don't know if you're in a, 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 an emergency like they're in that they want that. It's a little different. You know, we would sometimes go to Israel when they were under attack by the, you know, just sure. to kind of show that we, you know, you have the courage to be a, we have, that kind of thing's a little bit well, different. Well, it used to be the three eyes syndrome. This right. is going back to when Mario Cuomo was governor. You would visit Ireland, Israel, and Italy. Those were the three eyes. Now, what do you do, given the state of today's Republican Party gaining so much among Hispanics, gaining among Asian, what would be the version of that for Republic? if you were running in a Republican, if you were, I'll put it this way, if you were running... For governor today, you might not do those same three. What would no, you probably no, the, do? The big three now are Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Israel. Those are the three you places. You wouldn't do Taiwan? No, no, no. It's a, not a requirement. Not a requirement. Just to, just to show? Most the, of the know. Chinese are mainland Chinese. They don't necessarily like uh, the oh, folks really? in Taiwan. I, I thought they're, they're kind of like if they're here and have left the mother country. Oh, the clashes. Oh, yeah. my, uh, you know, I won the Asian vote. Uh, it's one of the uh, groups I did very well at uh, citywide. But I got to tell you, I sh- show up at a Chinese-American event, you'd have some with red Chinese flags, yeah. communist flags. You'd have others very with the flags of, those, of Taiwan. Though. Very few. Oh, you would be surprised, Is that Anthony. True? Oh, the fights, the ba- Why were you standing with them? Why were you standing? And they're speaking yeah. Cantonese and Mandarin. I don't understand yeah, yeah. a word of it. And it had to be translated to me. But I would say those are the three, the big three now, if you're running for office. The growing uh, Dominican population that has replaced the Puerto Rican population because they're moving out. They're moving up and they're moving out. And, of course, Israel. I mean, that's almost so right. Look, even Kathy Holcomb said, I'm going to Israel. I tell you, though, I'm, I'm in, in, in the Latin American population, Mexicans are getting close to eclipsing Dominicans now. A lot of Mexicans, and they are a very interesting population because you think, okay, because of Donald Trump and everything else, they are fairly conservative, church-going. You know, that's an interesting population, now, too. Now, let me throw a little shade at you. This is what I think is going to happen when Eric Adams goes to Puerto Rico. The Bitcoin bandits, the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers are all, there's an enclave there now because they've been given special tax status as a result of the Commonwealth. This is what the pharmaceutical companies used to have, the oil refineries, they didn't have to pay taxes. So you got all these Bitcoin bandits, blockchain bandits, you know, it's just one big Ponzi scheme. They're all there. Watch Eric Adams while he's there. It's going to visit them because they've all been very generous in terms of their donations to him. And I wouldn't doubt he does a quick hop, skip, and a jump to the DR 
which also got hit, but not apparently as hard as Hurricane Fiona I hit Pia. I don't think he's going to do any crypto while he's there. For, if for no other reason is it calls into question where are these crypto guys getting their power from. That's such a giant drain. I think I think the crypto thing has lost well, its remember, charm. They're going to come to him. They're Maybe. Making, remember, he wants... He wants that mine upstate. He wants that to continue. Hochul is being pressured to say, that's it. The end of the Bitcoin industry here. It's just a scam. It's just a yeah, fraud. What people, what's, what the uninitiated might not be aware of is in this crypto thing, it requires an enormous amount of electricity, like the, the likes of which an entire state near needed to power these, these crypto mining computers. Um, I don't think he's going to do any of those. I mean, I, look, I think that I have no problem with, Adams being Johnny on the spot. I am a little bit, you know, the advice I've given, you know, publicly and I've given privately, I was on with 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 Sid this week right after you. I think he has to come up with specific plans for helping with our problems we have. He's very he seems to be very reactive to things and that's fine. But this whole get things done kind of thing. He needs a fight that is more on his ground. Talk about crime. Have your, your program. I've suggested, you know, 500 new cops. 100 new corrections officers and 300 new mental well, health officials. How's he going to do that? Like that? There's a pending $10 billion deficit yeah. in the horizon. Have that fight, too. Say, listen, I'm going to exempt law enforcement from the cuts. Oh, he won't do that. Well, But because, look, there is an argument to be made. It's not the fights that are the problem when you're a politician. So long as you're fighting about the things you want. Sure. You, you know, right? So long as you're saying, I'm willing to take the slings and arrows. Like, that's why... You know, Bloomberg with congestion pricing and the stadium, he didn't mind having that fight because he was talking about things that he didn't mind talking about. I think that what Adams is getting into this problem now, that he's constantly reacting to things rather than... Pivoting, he calls it. Whatever. And, and so the get things done thing is getting lost. Like, okay, what are you getting things done? It's You're getting mostly, old. It's really getting I don't know old. about that. I, I think he's doing a good job, but I do think as a political imperative... He has to start defining better. If you stop Mrs. Crapalucci on Avenue P and Kings Highway or whatever it is and say, what is what do you know, Eric Adam? What is the thing you know about him? What is his issue? What is his one thing? What is his pre-K for all? What is his control of the schools? What is his subway crime? If you're Curtis Lee, you know what they know that he's a swagger man. That's all they know. They all, he's he sold himself as a swagger man. And that's what people no, know. He wears nice that, suits. I think that is filling, that narrative is filling the void that he's leaving by the way he's governing. I just think that, and, and I don't think he's doing a bad job, and I think they're reacting and doing, look, Ed Koch once famously said, you know, you wake up every day with a list of 10 things you want to do as mayor, and you go to sleep having done maybe one of them because the, the events of the day, that's what it means to run New York City. You've got to adapt. But I still would like to have the two or three things that supporters like me can say, oh, yeah, but... He wants to hire five hundred. Right. Up cops. next, it's an issue that affects young families in particular. There's an article in the New York Post, definitely impacting some of the neighborhoods, including yours, the Lower East Side, Chelsea, Hell's Kitchen, other neighborhoods, where now parents are taking their children to therapy because of what they're seeing in the streets: people shooting up, defecating, masturbating, acting out, having psychotic uh, attacks. And uh, I want to pick your mind on this because, obviously, you and Jordan, you have to explain it to him. I've had to explain it to my three sons. And when Nancy, my wife, brought it up to me, she goes, oh, they're all soft. They're all soft. I didn't want to get into an argument because <laughs> that's what my father did for me way back in the early 1960s when he'd be home from the ship where he was a merchant mariner for 54 years. Exclusively here on your place to be, left versus right. 77 a.m. W.A.B.C.
Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, this is my one of my favorite all-time songs. This is the theme for the Warriors. Now a cult movie classic passed on a generation after generation. It came out on February 8th of 1979, five days before I officially launched the Guardian Angels on February 13th of 1979. Have you ever seen the Warriors? Uh, I have, I have. It made quite the stir when it came out. Watching it today, though... It's, like, hard to imagine that city existed. But who is this? This is, um, what's the guy called? Funk 49. No. Well, it's the same guy. Joe Walsh. That that's guy. right. Yeah. That's the right. Eagles, Joe yeah. Walsh. Who was with the Eagles. And remember, he did a whole thing about his time with the Eagles. You know, I, I show every once in a while, I'll call Jordan in and show him a movie from the 70s. God, our city's so much better. I mean, it's so oh, much it safer. It's so much cleaner. It's so much in control. I mean, I know we have our things that we... You know, like I'm, I'm reading a book now about this, about um, the about gratitude and the power of gratitude. And one of the elements of gratitude is you dwell on things that are good, not just on things that are bad. And the whole thinking is that we were programmed Darwin, from a Darwinian perspective to remember, remember that mushroom that was dangerous. Don't focus on the ones so much that are yeah. good. But we really don't spend enough time just talking about just how much safer well, remember, and better and higher. The high, difference you know, was Ed Koch. Gets elected, and immediately the financial control board is in place. Every nickel, diamond, penny had to be explained, and rightfully so, because we are on the brink of that fiscally was, dissolving. Do you know what it was? It was immigration. When we passed that immigration law and all those people started coming, pouring back into the city, that had been – the city was dying on the vine – and immigration, the Ronald Reagan era immigration bills that allowed more people to come in from Latin America – and they, they saved our city. Well, we have plenty of people here now. Too many people. Right? <laughs> but the are. point being is, remember, Koch had to fire firefighters, cops, social workers, teachers, to meet the budgetary yeah. concerns. There were no cops on the subways at night. That's what motivated me to start the Guardian Angels. Right. Well, and, and the whole premise of the Warriors was that this charismatic gang leader, Cyrus, summons all the gangs from throughout yeah, the city right, yeah. up to Van Cortlandt Park, and he says... There's 40,000 of us, only 28,000 of them. And that was true. There were only 28,000 cops. We can take over the city. And then there's a gunshot. He's killed. They blame the warriors. They got to fight their way all the way back to Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue. And then it turns out it was not the warriors. It was, But it was. Remember that movie was somewhat controversial because it was almost plausible. Like the city was on such. By the way, in that during that fiscal crisis, I was at PS39. We changed. Teachers twice and principals three times. Yes. And when you're at that age, you don't know what's normal and what's not. Like suddenly the principal's, well, he's not the principal, he's a new principal. I thought it was like a baseball team. Like you just swap one in and swap one out. But just returning a moment of gratitude about how much better things are well, today. Well, a million people then. fled the city in the 70s. A lot of people don't realize they that. They were fleeing cities fled. in general, not just our city, but mm. fleeing cities in general. The dream of the suburbs is the nirvana of the suburbs. And then people got out to the suburbs. They looked to their left and looked to their right. They had, we got crime here, too. We have problems here, too. But um, but you were, you introduced a subject that is very close to my heart, this idea that kids today 
are turning, it was this article, I guess it was in the Post, turning more and more, the parents of kids, they're turning more and more to therapy to explain to their kids what they're seeing on the street. Is that the summary of it? Yes, yes it is, and specifically in areas where there are a lot of hipster and millennial parents. So, for instance, Lower East Side, Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, uh, parts of Brooklyn, is that when they're walking around with their younger children, the children are watching people shooting up drugs, sometimes right in the neck. It's kind of hard to explain why somebody is putting a needle you know, they're all withered out. They're almost skeletal in terms of their look, some of them. It's frightening to the child. They see people defecating, urinating, masturbating, having psychotic disorders. And as a result, a lot of the parents who find it very difficult to segue their child into explaining this feel that the children have been traumatized and they're taking them to, for therapy, mostly in Manhattan, which I got to tell you, a lot of the rest of the country can use therapy. They won't go because there's a stigma. In Manhattan, one of the bragging points is to be able to say, I go to this shrink. I go to this psychologist. Oh, uh, you, you should go to my shrink. It's almost like it's almost like a badge of uh, success that you're going to therapy. Well, it is definitely changed. I have an enormous amount of therapy in my life. I, I have a therapist. I go to 12-step programs a lot of mornings. And, you know, I, there's a lot of that kind of therapy in my life, and I'm a lot healthier for it. I can tell you this, generationally, Jordan's generation, the millennials, the notion of mental health and therapy is not nearly as stigmatized as it was when you and I were born. No, no, it's not. It's really changed a great deal. As a matter of fact, there are plenty of, like, our podcast sometimes is sponsored by by Better Health Now, which is an online thing. It's very common. But I will tell you, this is a subject that is near to my heart because it's basically my everyday. Just about every day, there is some element of New York urban life that I am either explaining to Jordan or a- answering a question about it or bringing some. Like when I talk to my therapist, a lot of times I'm talking like, what do you, should I tell Jordan about A, B, or C? I told a story on when I was on with Sid, and I'll repeat the short version on you. We were on the, the ferry coming back from a Ferry Hawks game. He had five of his buddies with him. And Jordan got in. He, it was someone selling this guy was selling snacks on the Staten Island Ferry. He said a curse word as part of his pitch. I don't know what it was. And Jordan turns around and says, you shouldn't curse. He's been a smart aleck, little white kid here telling this guy you shouldn't curse. Mm. And the guy said, my little N, I can curse whenever I want. I'm an adult. And Jordan said, no, you shouldn't curse. And he's a combination of showing off for his friends and also not wanting to be wrong and making a show of this thing. And I had to have a conversation with him. I eventually glared at him and said, turn around and cut that out, that more people than he probably realizes are one degree away from snapping. Mm-hmm. We walk by that, that store I described a couple of weeks ago that is selling marijuana right out in the open. We have homeless people left and right, some of which I, you know, what are, dealing, are doing drugs. You have people who are half naked sometimes. So this is definitely a thing. Is it leading to more therapy? It probably, if you got the money to be buying your kid a therapist, but I bet you there's a lot more conversations like I and whom are having with Jordan than I remember having with right, my but you dad. See, the reason you're able to do that is as somebody who was known as a retail politician, you spent most of your political life in the streets, going door to door, riding subways. That's where I met you when you were in elective office. You'd have your Metcap on. You'd be reading the right. New York Times, not the New York Post, the New York Times. <laughs> and I'd see you on the train. It was not at all unusual. So you were more street smart than almost uh, most of your colleagues were. So you're better able to explain it to Jordan. Now, in my situation, I had to explain it to Anthony, my oldest, 
And it helped that he went to become a junior guardian angel. He's now a guardian angel because he's of age 18. So he's been exposed to a lot of that. But for my middle son, Carter, and Hunter, who's the youngest, a lot more difficult because, look, they live in Forest Hills. Uh, it's more of a sheltered community. You're not necessarily exposed. Although you go to 71st and Continental now, you see it all there. It's like, whoa. Right, right. That's shocking to me when I go for a visit. My father, though, when he would come back from the ship, he was a merchant seaman. So eight months of the year, he'd be out at sea. Four months, he'd be at home all the time. And he would take me down to the Bowery. At that time, that was Skid Row. That's where all the flop houses were. He knew a lot of the men who had been seamen. Because remember, seamen were considered the dregs of society. Guys who had been arrested, guys who were into drugs. People don't realize it was drugs in the 50s, drugs in the early 60s. People were shooting heroin back then. It wasn't as prominent as we see now, but it existed there. And so he would introduce me to people. They'd be laid out on the street. They had defecated on themselves, urinated. The smell, the stench was like uh, just twisting my hands and my nostrils. And he was not at all intimidated by that. He was not at right, all put right. off. He'd have conversations. He'd say, come on, Curtis, come on. Don't, don't make this guy feel like he's not worthy. There by the grace of God go you. Every one of these men have a story. Yeah. And you cannot just make a general assumption. So we go into the Salvation Army. Back then, you had to sing, you know, a holy roll of songs to get your soup and your bread. We went into the flop houses. Now, if my mother knew that my father now, he would was take you me, there just to show you what life, like to give you a balanced look of what life is like and, and, and what he, need is he like. He knew some of these guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember when you were on the Horace looking back, you know, your dad's a great guy. He was my boatswain. This guy was like drooling. He obviously had some severe problems, but he snapped to it when he recognized somebody that he had sailed with. So my father helped me break the barrier. You could almost say that was therapy back then because very few, if any, of the uh, young kids were brought to the Bowery. In fact, that was a place yeah. you stayed out of. You know, you never brought your kids to the Bowery. Mostly all men, very few women, few bag ladies, they called them at that time. Right. But some men with serious problems. And back then, more alcohol than drugs. But there still was drugs. And he would take me up and down the flop houses. He would take me to the director's the Salvation Army, which he was a big supporter of because every time a ship was furloughed, you know, the seamen would consider, oh, they have syphilis, you know, lock up your daughters. They're like the barbarians. If you didn't have $2 in your pocket, especially down south, the local sheriffs would come in. They'd arrest you. You'd be spending six months in the pea patch picking peas in the county farm. And they'd give you $2. So this way, when the deputy sheriff came by, you wouldn't be arrested for loitering. He will. He never forgot that till the day he died. In fact, he he showed me two dollars that the Salvation mm -hmm. Army had given him. He kept it right up on his mantle. You're like this next to Jesus Christ, JFK, mm -hmm. Pope John Paul, <laughs> and Barack Obama. Hardcore Democrat. He never voted for Giuliani. He didn't, have the he didn't vote Rebbe for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. He was hardcore. But Democrat. this is like you know my experience growing up was we had the bag the neighborhood bag lady, but it. it you had to make an effort, like travel to the Bowery, to find, like, Skid Row. Skid Row was a thing. Now it's not anymore. Now it's everywhere. And I guess, like, Jordan, a lot of what happens with you and me is is similar in that people come up to us, both people in need and just regular citizens come up. And, and the lesson that I have taught him is every person, whether they're homeless or not, you refer to them as sir, 
and man. Like that's the way that just to get your mental footing that these people deserve your respect no matter what, if they're yelling at you, if they're begging, whatever it is. But I have to tell you that it you can see Jordan's head on a swivel sometimes, like seeing stuff that he's being introduced to as normal walking up and down 14th Street that is should not be normal. And, and this is not, I don't remember a 10 and a half experiencing that in New York City of the 70s and 80s when things were pretty bad. There, it's, this is palpably, palpably different. So when I when I hear that that maybe – oh, the other thing that is clearly the case is Jordan is much more, more comfortable than his friends in interacting with strangers. He's less intimidated. That's a good thing. I don't want him to be intimidated by New York and to feel like New York is overwhelming or is something to be afraid of. But by the same token, I learned with this experience I had with him on the ferry that he's a bit of a smart aleck at the wrong times. Yeah, I wanted to chip off the old <laughs> I where he got that from. But <laughs> what we don't take into effect is there are a lot of parents. They're good parents, but their communication skills with their children or the young adult children is not that good. There's some. It's almost a, a, a generation gap. Uh, and either they're too forceful or too soft. Or, but there, and then there's something else, and you know this because of your affinity for animals, you know, that they can sense your energy, how comfortable or how stressed sure. out that you are. Sure. Those interactions with other people are the same way. If you are a parent who is clutching your son's or daughter's hand particularly tight as you walk by someone, it sends the message to that kid, oh my goodness, this is a moment of, this is a moment of fear, this is a moment of, and it's a balance that you try to strike. I think, you know, what I try to, to, in part to Jordan, is one that all of these people are entitled to dignity even when they're in a position that doesn't look like they have any left. And that, two, don't be so sure that this person is cogent, like this guy's person's going to get the joke or this person is going to be like, don't be, you know, just make your way through it, but don't assume that these people, like he had this interaction on the ferry, he's going to remember it for, it's going to be kind of like that movie Stand By Me, that these kids are going to remember it for a while. Because... Because this guy was getting pissed off the way he was looking at it. This was a 20-something, 30-something-year-old black guy, and this little punk white kid is, is is giving me lip. When what Jordan was doing is just performing for his friends and showing off and being a smartass. I think that kind of a lesson is worth learning. But I can understand if some parent who is not as much of a New Yorker as you and I are, are seeing these things for the first time and they're freaked out by it or freaking their kids well, out I, by it. I don't think they're going to go the full route of Chester Sliwa would take me on a ride yeah. into nearby Brownsville in East New York. That was the other side of the tracks. And he would drop me off there. But he would follow at a distance in the car. Yeah. Say, well, Curtis, yeah. work your way back to Canarsie. I said, sure, Dad. I'd get lost. Actually, big guys looking at me, big black guys staring at me. I'm like, oh. And then he'd come by and pick me up and say, what are you afraid of them for? Why? Why? Just like yeah. you and me? Well, what, what's wrong, Curtis? You see, he exposed me to that, and a lot of people say, how come you're so comfortable nowadays at 68? It was all due to my father. Totally. All and due and to my by father. the way, in the part of the story I didn't tell you about the ferry, I was not sitting next to him. Mm. Well, he wanted, so I was sitting, they were against the railing, and I was, you know, there's two rows of, of benches there on the ferry. Well, I he didn't want you near him. I, right? He didn't want me near him. And now I'm here, and so this guy is saying, I don't know whose little end this is, but you better tell him to dial it down. And these tourists who are around, they're getting out of the way. And eventually I'm the only one left sitting there. And I diffused it by saying to the guy, you know what, pal? I agree with you. He, I agree with you. You can say whatever you want. He shouldn't be. All of that being said, it, there's, no, there's no manual for this. So if you only lived in New York for a few years and this is kind of a new experience, I can see parents saying, let me call a shrink. I think what it would, you know, just 
I mean, I, and I admit, I talk to my shrink more about dealing with things about Jordan recently than I do about my own things, thank God. But um, but it is. The, these are times that kids are being exposed to a lot. I think your dad did it right. I think I'm kind of feeling my way and figuring out the way to do it right tough with Jordan. Tough guy, but you could talk to him. There are a lot of guys out there, tough, they're disciplinarians. Their children are afraid to talk to them, and mothers too. You, you have to have a balance. You can't be so hard, so tough right. that your kid is afraid to express anything to you or your grandchild or your great-grandchild. Anyway, up next, it's Yankees versus Mets as we're approaching playoffs and potentially the World Series, and everybody is thinking... Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. And the Mets have a a guy who I thought was in mothballs who was ready to be, like, farmed out to retirement. It's becoming a whirling dervish at the plate. We'll get into that and so much more. A super sports spectacular featuring Anthony Weiner on the left, Met fan. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right. Yankees fan, sometimes, right here at WABC. Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Uh, Anthony Weiner, tell me why I should be excited. As Aaron Judge is on the precipice of hitting the 61st home run. To tie Roger Maris's record and maybe a few more before the playoffs and potentially a World Series. I, I'm just because not excited. Hey, you got, look, I'm a Mets fan, but I'm excited. This is, this is history. It's amazing. It's, I mean, people haven't done this stuff, what he's doing since, since the ages they have, they have Babe Ruth. Now, we're not paying enough attention to the idea that DeGrom is very quietly, I think now we can say, the greatest pitcher of our lifetime. I mean, the guy, he just got his 40th straight game of three runs or less. No one's ever done that. I mean, every single time he goes out there, he's dominant. It's just amazing. Well, let me get back to uh, Aaron Judge. I remember following the home run, back-to-back, belly-to-belly contest between my hero, Mickey Mantle, although he was a total degenerate in real life, and Roger Maris back in 61. You know, you get the Daily News back page and would show you Mickey versus Roger the fans, the Yankee fans, wanted Mickey Mantle to break the record, right. not Roger Maris. Correct. He hits 54 home runs and he injures himself because he was injury prone. So he was out. Roger Maris went the rest of the way, hit 61. I didn't get as excited. Once I, I liked the competition, even though we realized they were roided up, slamming Sammy Sosa and McGuire. That created excitement as they were pitted against one another. I mean, they would hit bombs. I mean, right. bombs. Cubs versus St. Louis Cardinals. That was exciting until I found out. Although I kind of knew right. they were roided up. Just well, look at it. Well, it wasn't a conversation at the time in 98 that, that like, we we knew it, but we didn't. I, I guess we kind of, I mean, it's weird. We thought the, the competition was on the level, and this was just like we were just gifted to have these two these two guys. By the way, you know, you said you weren't into the Maris el- element of it. There's only 25,000-some-odd people at Yankee Stadium when he hits that. I'm telling you, when Mantle got injured, the Boo Brigade, they booed Roger Maris. Very much the way when Mantle first came up, he was number six. He was not number seven. He played right field. DiMaggio was in center field. People booed Mickey Mantle. They hated Mickey Mantle because he was going to take over for the one that they loved, Joe DiMaggio. But when it comes to this, if Stanton had stayed healthy, he had the opportunity to go homer for homer because he's in that category. 
but he's so injury prone. That would you mean have been that, exciting. You mean me. that one year with the Marlins? You don't mean this year? Yeah. Well, no. When he's healthy, yeah. he, he hits bombs. Yeah. If he had remained healthy, do you imagine the both of them going at the home run record? Because one would help the other. You couldn't pitch around one. You know. But what's amazing about what Aaron Judge is doing right now is he is so far and away. I guess Trout isn't the second. He's so far away. He's twenty some odd homers over the next guy. You never yeah, see but that. You know, in the back of people's minds, you know what they're thinking because of McGuire, Sosa, and Barnes. Maybe the guys roided it up. No, no, no. I think with him, because he's such a, an enormous physical specimen, they're like this. The rules are not fair for him. Like he's like, like no. I don't think people think he is. What does he need it for? He's six foot nine and three hundred pounds. What did McGuire need? What did Jose I, I Canseco su- I suppose. For? I mean, Bonds is the, is, the, is the real argument. And that guy went from tiny to big. Like, that was the difference in what he did. Now, now tell me about this whirling dervish. I thought he was uh, due to retire. What is that, Escobar? Escobar, Duardo Escobar. What the hell is going on? He's like, I had a well, second we did. I It's true. I mean, he, that you asked me three weeks ago. I said, well, that was $20 million Cohen could have used yeah. for something else. Um, but this is, remember, he used to be, he was a player. He, you always signed him thinking, all right, this is the escort you thought you might get a little bit of. I'm not crazy about him now. We don't really need it now. We need him in the Atlanta series. We need him in the playoffs. Let's see. This might just be a moment. But he's all lit up. He's all lit up. I mean, he's like a whirling dunk. Yeah, he he's play. been Grand Slam. Forget we, Lindor. You we know, had Grand you Slams, Escobar. Grand Slams two days in a row, Lindor, and then, and then him. This is great. Hey, you know, since you and I sat down, the Jets, Giants, Mets, and Yankees – this is like a good time to – now, I don't know why. You know, you think we can get yes on the TV here to find out if Judge did anything today. He probably would, we would have heard. So. I, we would have heard. So. I think what's happening is he's all hyped up. He's all excited. It's hard. Like a fighter who comes in uh, into the ring sweating. You know, he's too over-exercised yeah. or a racehorse who's sweating and jumping around. I think he's a little too hyper-hyper now. And also, it's the Boston Red Sox. You well, know, that makes a big difference. I mean, I've been watching, though, only the last couple of days. I've been watching. It doesn't seem like they're overtly pitching around him. He's getting a pitch or two to hit at every well, at-bat. remember, he's also going for the triple crown, right. which was what Mickey Mantle had. Uh, obviously, I think he hit 52 home runs that year. I think it was 54 the year I was birthed. But triple crown, remember, best average, most RBIs, right. most homers. The average, he might lose it because that f- fluctuates. But he could conceivably win the Triple Crown. And he's a lead-off hitter now. Lead-off hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you watch. Cohen, Cohen, if he becomes available, watch him. In the, nah, he'll, he'll, be go, he'll become a giant. He's a Bay Area boy. They love him there. He was born and raised there. He might go back to the Bay Area because he'll hit bombs in Giant Stadium That's in downtown sure. San Francisco. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.